Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Lavi Dashatar, a seasoned VP with over 14 years of experience spanning banking and management consulting across global hubs like Singapore, UK, US, and India. Currently, Levy spearheads strategic initiatives at DBS Bank's Chief Sustainability Office, where she passionately drives sustainability strategy and its execution. With expertise in sustainable finance, digital strategy, and change management, Levy has been instrumental in building innovative products and fostering partnerships. Her journey includes pivotal roles at Cap Gemini Inwent and Deloitte, and she's a proud alumna of SP Jane Institute of Management and Research. A champion for sustainable finance, I've asked her to join us here today to share her story, plus discuss sustainable finance strategy and change management. So, Levy, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you, Daryl. I'm doing good and um, looking forward to our chat today. So before we hop into some of the nuts and bolts of what you're doing now, how did you even get started? Obviously, change management, sustainability. We talk, is this something like strategy? Was mm-hmm. were this these kind of related fields that your parents were involved in? Did you sit around the dinner table playing chess <laughs> like or strategic games or something like go or what? Not exactly. So this all started, by the way, I'm a computer engineer. So I started my background as a computer engineer. I started as a developer. So I was developing the code and the first code which I developed was for Citibank, where I was uh, doing the loan and, and financial products. And then it got to me excited about the business overall, the business strategy and how uh, how can we get more customers for those products? And then I decided to take my master's in uh, business and I did it from SPGN, as you, as you mentioned, SPG in Mumbai. And then I joined Deloitte as part of the strategy consulting practice. And once after I got, so within Deloitte, I moved to US, UK with a lot of assignments with my clients. And then once I got married, I settled down in Singapore. And here I am after, it's, it's been more than six years with DBS now. And, and this is my third role within DBS. So all through, I've been driving the strategy, partnerships, commercialization of products, and now it's more about sustainable financing strategy within the bank. So what does that mean, sustainable financing strategy? I would say, maybe I, I take a step back because sustainability means different for different people, right? right? And a very simple definition that we use is 10 billion people, which is the population of the world by 20. 50 lives well and live within the planetary boundaries. So this is a very simple definition of sustainability. Now, how different industries are enabling this to making sure that we hit our net zero goals. Now, there are a lot of these. One of the things I wanted to tell that there are a lot of acronyms in sustainability, and sometimes people just get too much puzzled like what all of this is all about. But in a very short, if I talk about and we have been focusing on climate. And while there are 17 UN SDGs, social uh, development goals, but we have been focusing on climate action the most because this is one of the things which is immediate. The It's very real. And you can see that in most of the countries, the you can feel the impact. It's, July has been the hottest month in the history. I've been recently to Japan. It, it was one of the hottest days of the or in their history. So the impact is real. And hence, what we are trying at the bank is how we can, as a bank, we cannot, we do not make products. We do not make consumer products, but what we do is we lend to the large businesses and the corporates and how we can help them to make this transition from a high carbon, high intensive carbon emitting industry to a low carbon 
emitting uh, solutions. And that's where we do a lot of financing. And we call this all as part of the transition to net zero, which is we how do we meet these net zero goals? So sustainable finance sounds like financing these sustainability goals and initiatives. Is that correct? This is, yeah. So yeah, in a very short term or, or in a very short thing that it says, how do we finance this entire transition from a high emitting to a low emitting or low carbon uh, solutions? Oh, okay. I wasn't sure because I know there's talk of CBDC, central bank digital currencies. There's a lot, mm-hmm. obviously there's a lot happening geopolitically. Like Canada alone in 2020 printed 50 years of their annual budget in one year alone. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's having an impact on the purchasing power of Canadians and obviously their international trade. Is that a part of this in any like that you're aware of in any way, shape or form as we talk in? Because as mm-hmm. countries like, for example, like China's, I think, opening up two coal plants a week right now while we're. Because every everything a human does, from flipping a light switch to flushing the toilet to driving down the street, it all emits carbon. So while some countries maybe are squeezing themselves in some ways, reducing their kind of quality of life to a certain extent, there's other countries that are throwing caution to the wind, so to speak. And China is, for example, one of the largest emission producers. How does that fit into things? It's a very good question because this is something that we have been asking uh, a lot of time that it's always dialogue between global north and global south. Global north is something already developed countries have already emitted these emissions in the um, atmosphere, while the others, which are more developing countries, Asia, um, where the development is still going on and they need a lot of resources, especially, and most of these energy or electricity is coming from the fossil fuels, which is being there. And hence you would see while China on one hand is opening two coal, uh, fossil fuel or two coal mines every every like a regular interval or every month, I would say. It's also about, they have added the largest renewable energy sources, which is mainly the solar power. And they are the largest producer of solar power in the world. So this is something, so it has to go kind of, the energy mix is changing, but it will take time. Right. And this is all the transition about. So we know we have to get there and we have a 2050 goal. So even if you see most of the nations here in, in Asia, or um, they have set up their targets in terms of 26 by 2060, they, for example, Indonesia will be uh, net zero by 2060, uh, uh, India would be by 2070 and Singapore by 2050 and so on. And hence all these nationally determined contributions need to be taken into account when we are talking about going to net zero. And hence the strategies are not just built at our, as a company level, we are just one part of it, but right. we are part of that bigger government push that's happening to ensure that all the countries are driving towards that net zero goal. Now, yeah, it's an interesting, I, I didn't anticipate the conversation was gonna take this turn. So what's, because also if we're talking about emissions in that, the vast majority are made by industry by far the emissions come from industry and then probably commerce would be second with residentials being the lowest Mm -hmm. producer almost an insignificant drop in the bucket comparatively what do you know is on the radar maybe we'll hop ahead where do you see things going as we move forward like looking forward 5 10 20 years Mm -hmm. what are the biggest trends that you're aware of that perhaps people need to be aware of as well right so there are many things that's happening on sustainability. So every day we see new reports, research reports that are coming out, but maybe I just pick up one or two to share. So the first one I think is the biggest trend is the increase in the renewables, which has not happened. So if you see the price of the renewable energy 
or our solar PV is less, is becoming lesser than what we are getting out of fossil fuels. So this is one of the things to keep in mind that as we are transitioning, the prices are of the renewable energy is getting more cheaper as compared to the traditional power. And hence, yeah. this will enable a lot of the businesses and uh, energy mix in the countries. So that's the first trend. The second one is that the entire shift in the entire supply chain that's happening. If you see, because China is building a lot of renewable capacity, India in, in that sense, and uh, Vietnam and many other Asian countries as well, they are building these supply chains around these. A lot of business and trade is, is moving uh, as well. So there's been shift in the supply chains, a lot of new technologies coming up like green hydrogen, uh, et cetera, which would require a lot of uh, distribution infrastructure, storage and distribution infrastructure. And hence, this would change quite a lot of dynamics in, in Asia as well as uh, in, the, in the world. And do you guys put a lot of weight in the ESG ratings? This is a very, the topic which has been a very sensitive topic, I would say. And <laughs> because ESG ratings, all of them, whether you take MSCI, Sustainalytics, or the other players which are there in the market, they have their own ways of calculating, their own methodologies of calculating. And you would be surprised that when we, as a company, try to establish the link between all of these, we, there was, we couldn't find any correlation between these ratings. So we I'm couldn't so find- I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad. <laughs> I want to virtually hug you through Zoom. Sorry. <laughs> so we couldn't find the, any correlation between what MSCI is telling us or what Sustainalytics is telling us. Um, while this may help us sometimes to improve on the few metrics which they have, but we do not see this as uh, benchmarking us with any of the other companies there because I this is- at least uh, our company doesn't believe, and, and we personally do not believe in these ratings. It's more as yeah. for us to benchmark, to improve, but yeah, that's it. I'm so glad you said that because Chevron uh, has like an A-plus rating when they've had mm -hmm. all these massive oil spills. Uh, Philip Morris, the cigarette company, has an A-plus rating somehow. When you go to a beach yeah. and the beaches are littered with their cigarette butts, there's just a lot of politics in these. And I feel like, and you didn't ask this, but hey, it's my show, so I'm going to say it. Like my personal opinion having talked to researchers and universities and that I, and having flown and traveled the world multiple times, I agree that we need to change. I agree that we are like, we are just bulldozing natural habitats. The oceans are full of plastic. I believe that we're creating these sprawling concrete jungles that there's no, there's no like natural heat sink. What I mean is like the trees absorb the heat. So when you go to a city, it's hotter. I question things about global warming. If you look at, depending on the planet has been around for millions of years, the temperatures have fluctuated so much that you can basically pick any starting point and you can say the planet is cooling or you can say the planet is warming. And for carbon emissions, I'm skeptical on that as well, as if that's the, the nature of it. But I agree that even if, let's say I were correct, we still need to change in essence of we're just polluting the snot out of stuff, like just pollution in general. Like how many water, like how many natural lakes and streams and that do you go swim in and then go home and feel like you don't need to shower first? So the, there really is an issue at, there really is an issue. Now, I don't know how much I believe that it's carbon related. I'm just speaking because the audience, where people listening to this, they're going to be a whole mix of people. So mm. I'm not in any way trying to challenge you or, or put you on the spot. But I want to ask about that as you invest in these, are you just solely looking at the UN's rating or do you guys have your own, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, how are you going to measure success in your own, like net zero? If you kill everybody, there's net zero. 
ta-da, we achieved net zero. So in the same respect, people, we need to grow as a species, as a civilization. We need to stabilize. We need to figure out how to maintain our populations. Can you speak to that? Maybe some lesser known? Yeah. Absolutely. So maybe I just, because you said you, all of this is based on science at the end of the day. So what we are following or what any company is following on Net Zero is all based on science. So recent article, September 1, I can quote it, that there are nine planetary boundaries that have been established by the science, which could be including aerosols, uh, these all these particles, water, etc. And it says that six out of nine planetary boundaries are already transgressed. That means we have already limit, Earth has a limit to take all of the, the pressure and we have already transgressed that. And the second say the second element or the second scientist scientific study says that 380 million of 380 giga, gigatons of carbon is left to hit yeah. that 1.5. And if the 1.5 is is already hit, then there will be like heat stress, extreme weather, and there will be a lot of typhoons, etc. But there's no so a couple of things. So there's a the godfather of quantum computing. His name is David Deutsch, and he wrote a fantastic book called The Beginning of Infinity, and it speaks. It says nothing about climate change and all like it has nothing to do with that it's a book about what is good science versus bad science <clears throat> and good science are specific explanations that are hard to vary without changing the outcome so a great example is the greeks used to talk about how uh, they had a myth for why we had seasons and the myth was the goddess was kidnapped and taken to hades and she's constantly raped and so the world cries and we have fall and winter but her mom negotiated a deal she gets to come home and visit for a few months of the year and that's why we have spring and everyone celebrates in summer. Now, this is an explanation, but you can, the details, you can vary vastly in that mm -hmm. story without, without changing the outcome. And also there's also lots of holes in it in the sense of if you went to the equator, they don't have a change in seasons. It's the same season all year round. And so this ceases to be a good explanation. The, the science that's, I'm just leery about that because we just went through the science around dealing with COVID. And I actually have interviewed a lot of experts, Harvard grads experts in this stuff. And I, my, my podcast was suppressed. Our downloads were squashed for publishing stuff, which now, Hey, look at that. It was all true. If only somebody knew. So one of the things is the specific explanations that are hard to vary details. So a, a good example of a specific explanation was how we figured out we were not the center of the universe. And that was through the phases of the moon and the phases of Venus in particular. So once we, there were theories that we were different, but we couldn't prove it until we had telescopes and we could actually measure and monitor the phases of Venus. And with the phases of Venus and the phases of the moon, lining those up together, clearly there had to be a glowing orb of some sort and using geometry and trigonometry this far from the earth, everything's at this angle, rotating at these speeds. And that creates such a specific, precise explanation that's hard to vary. And so going back to when you're saying like, there's the science is saying this, there's a lot of science that debates on that stuff. And again, if you just change the point in history, your measuring point, if you're measuring from a hundred years ago versus a thousand years ago versus a million years ago, the planet's cooling. The planet's actually cooling. And we're experiencing a fluctuation within something. And that's so I'm just, I'm pushing back a little bit on that because for a lot of people, their livelihoods are being severely impacted. And some of this stuff, and again, I, I actually didn't anticipate the conversation was going to go this way at the start. But I think in Europe, they just passed a law like banning short distance flights. But the, the ir irony of that is that means people have to drive, which is actually going to produce more emissions. And so I guess maybe I interrupted. You're trying to say that the financing is focused on these nine planetary limits and um, trying to keep things within a boundary? 
So not so how do we finance? Maybe I can just share on how do we usually do the financing when we see, when you talk about sustainable financing right. or we talk about the transition overall, right? Right. So the first one is we there has to be a science-based pathway. So there are a lot of these organizations that have come up with science-based targets and science-based pathways. And these could be regional pathways, global pathways to by 2050. If you're saying that by 2050, we need to be net zero, that means our emissions need to be overall net zero, then what is the pathway that we need to follow from now till 2050? And if a company is aligning to these pathways and they need the money or the capex to move from to move from a high carbon intensive infrastructure to a low carbon, for example, if the company is moving to EV infrastructure, electric vehicle infrastructure, then how do we finance the, that? And is it are they based on the science-based target? target uh, SBTIs or they have um, a specific uh, transition plan and hence we are ready to support these clients and we are ready to finance these clients to make that transition. So our role is more as an enabler in the society to help this transition. And, and for us, the source is what has been published by the research, right? So we are not a research organization. Of course. Uh, but the idea here is whatever is the research which is established, which is verified by the different bodies in the world, and then we take that as, as the global pathways or the regional pathways, and we make sure our clients follow that, and we make that transition happen. Is there any questioning of the science? Because there's a lot, again, there's, and I'm just asking out of pure curiosity because- mm-hmm. It's really it. It's really easy to be dismissive of the naysayers. And you're saying that the science is established. I actually recently, as an ex- here's the perfect example. Recently, my my wife's best friend just came back from the States and she's here and her brother came with her and they came over to visit. And he's working at a researcher at a university here. And he's actually specifically researching climate change at his university. And I was asking, how's it going? And he said, he's really had his eyes open. So I go, why? And he goes, because our boss is actually really skeptical about climate change based off of the research that we're doing. And that's partially why I guess, and I don't know if I don't necessarily expect you to have necessarily answers. My intent to bring you here was to tell about your story and your journey, and then learn about some of these because there we're seeing in some ways a large wealth transfer, just like we saw with COVID away from certain industries into others. And like I said, I fully agree. I fully agree because like I went on holiday in Thailand 15 years ago and we went on a speedboat for an hour and a half from the mainland to Similan Islands, which is like a natural national park, reserve park. Similan stands for 77 islands. And I was out snorkeling. Oh my goodness, there's Nemo. And oh my gosh, there's Dory. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then I found myself in the middle of a giant patch of garbage. And it totally ruined the experience. Totally, obviously, nobody wants. I'm in this beautiful paradise. I had to travel for an hour and a half on a speedboat away from civilization to get here. And now that I'm here, I'm in a big garbage patch. So I very much agree with that. There's certain things that need to be done. It's I'm, I'm just trying to, like I said, poke, poke the bear a little bit. Like, how do we know the science is established? And is it just really that we're following the agencies? We're just, Hey, this is what the agencies are saying. And we're going, because another example is for carbon offsets, There's a lot of buildings, for example, that have like vines and stuff growing up the side of the wall. Singapore was known as being such a green city like Mm -hmm. that. Is there a big initiative into that, into helping cities offset their carbon by turning the the Mm -hmm. sun facing side of the building into a, a, a living wall? That's something when you think of a major metropolis, like I'm in the Philippines now, like Manila, there is so much surface area there that could be done. 
that's why I'm, I'm guess I'm trying to get at is what are the guiding principles and metrics that I, and I forgive me if I'm going on tangents here on the side, but I'm just trying to get to the core of, is it just like a perfect example is some things didn't make sense in terms of policy. Let's take COVID as another example. In the Philippines, there's lots of, they call them sorry stores, which is like a neighborhood convenience store. In your subdivision, someone has a convenience store on the front of their house and it's in the neighborhood and everyone goes there and gets stuff. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to go to the 7-Eleven or the, the big box stores. All those were legally mandated to be shut down, but you could go to the, everybody had to go to the Walter Mart. So it's like Walmart and Walter Mart. You could go, everybody in the city can go to these big box stores. Mm -hmm. And this is like, yeah, the same thing. Everybody here, everybody, here's some money. You can't go to the small mom and pop shop, but you can go to Walmart where there's the same 15 people touching everyone's goods and you can spend your money there and you can hang out there all day if you want, but you can't deal with the local small. And this is, I guess, where I'm trying to. I, I get your point. I get your point. I completely get your point. And, and I think where we were mainly focusing was climate and climate is just part of the sustainability. Sustainability has a, is a whole big issue. Right. And how we look at sustainability is the first one, because we are a banking organization. The first one right. we look is how responsibly we are doing this banking. So banking with a right. purpose, which is where right. we are helping make this transition. Or it's, And it's not about the climate. It's also about the just transition. So people who are losing mm -hmm. the jobs, are they getting those jobs back? Are, they, are we helping them? And this is a very big theme about uh, within the bank as well that how do we enable the social component or dial up the social component because we are here for a purpose and right. hence how oh. do we make sure that we bank with a purpose and hence we have a, this within the bank the best bank for a better world and the better world is where we encapsulate our sustainability strategy so while we only discussed about climate which was which i ag again agree there is a lot of contentions about science, not science-based, et cetera. But right. there is a very big portion which we say about the social element of it. The second part is how we responsibly in our own operations. So how we are responsibly making sure that if we have a bank branch somewhere, we are making sure that they are they are using the energy efficiency lights, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, mm, uh, mm. And our own operations, we have data centers. How do we make sure these data centers are, are mm. efficient? And the third part is entire about impact beyond banking. So it's not just banking, but how do we make impact in the community overall? Mm. And there are a lot of initiatives that we're driving in the community, which would include food wastage, making people aware about food wastage, waste mm. management. It's also about, if you see, there are a lot of wicked problems in the society, which is more yeah. aging population, right? Yep. How do we help the people to do their financial planning, digital literacy around it, so that they, even if they are past a certain age, they can understand those and they can make contributions to those. Mm. So I think sustainability, while there's been a lot of focus on climate, which climate. is because it's an urgent action, but then it's a very long, a lot of there, there are 17 SDGs for a, for, for a reason. And hence, it's important to, to see that while we are doing the transition, it has to be a just transition. It has to be equitable transition. And it also has to be uh, kind of an impact on the society, on what we are right. doing as a bank. Yeah, I, I really yeah. love that part because I, I think I can get wholeheartedly behind that. Obviously, as we know, as people become more prosperous economically, they typically, they have fewer kids. Like there's a whole host of benefits. They're more empowered to make the decision. Right. So obviously, if you don't have a lot of options, you just have to you have to go with what's cheap and easy. But if you have money, then you can vote with your dollars. It's like eating organic. We know that the bill, the bees have been dying off. And a large part of that has been, for example, the pesticides that we use in our modern type of agriculture, whereas organic 
They, in regenerative agriculture and permaculture, they more try to create a holistic ecosystem per se, where the need for them is less. And there's all sorts of more natural things like neem oil and that. And so someone has the financial capacity, they can actually vote with their dollars and buy more organic, which incentivizes right. that and goes forward. So I, I really think that I love that you've talked about that. So Darren, there's one more point, maybe through your yeah. podcast, I would like to make uh, everybody aware that there's a lot of risk of greenwashing risk. We go and we buy yeah. organic, but we don't know whether it's sourced from the right, the, we are sourcing from somebody who is having human trafficking behind in the supply right. chain. So I think that there's a lot of this greenwashing risk and the consumer products are named, it's green, it's sustainable, eco-friendly, nature-based, but it's it's very important for us as consumers to also kind of double click on each of them and see whatever we are buying, are we buying the right thing? And there are no specific regulations yet, which are, with, there are, but then not specifically are talking that if you're having a nature-based or you know, eco-friendly or organic, you need to have something to prove it and there should be some verification around it. Right. So people do fall trap in, in all of these greenwashing or uh, risks that we call about. And, and it's very important to understand those. Yeah. And, and again, I think we have to live for today, but it's like our personal lives, right? We want to live for tomorrow, but we could get hit by a bus. So we still need to enjoy today. And I think it's like we say, really clearly, we need to change something because we're just at, we're creating sprawling cities. We're just polluting all the water. I, I agree a thousand percent on that. And sorry, I'm not trying to in any way be uh, an antagonist. But again, I know that some of the audience, what they're thinking, and just even my own personal opinions on this, I, I, I really appreciate that you brought that up, the greenwashing. So that is something that you're aware of as a, as a bank and are trying to perhaps hedge your bets against. What would you recommend for maybe someone who's starting or struggling to figure out how to align themselves more with sustainability goals without just doing less? For example, a trucking company, like how do I help be sustainable without just driving less? Even you think of a small, even an online business, I have to deliver our goods. We have to source materials. You talked about changes in the supply chain. Do you have any tips for anyone who's maybe starting out or struggling with trying to figure out how do we align ourselves to be better stewards of this planet? Absolutely. Very good question. The first thing I would say is just be conscious. It, it's, it's not about taking action now immediately, but it's more about be conscious. So if you're driving, just know, okay, I have I've used this much of liters of petrol, then what would it calculate in terms of emissions from my side? So it's just making ourselves conscious about what's happening in the environment and what is my carbon footprint is, for example. And there are a lot of tools available which we could use online, free tools that are available, and I can share those with you where sure. the businesses can just go and they can see, okay, how much they are they're conscious about their environment. There is a very small questionnaire they can fill and they can understand more about. So the first step is to, to just be conscious and see if there is a way they can measure on of their impact on the environment. And um, so it's not just environment impact, it could be social impact, it could be how they're govern having the governance within their um, organization as well. So wow. they could have, uh, sorry, you, you had to say something. Oh, no, I just said, I, I love that. That's all. I just was saying, I love that you talk about the social impact. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, sorry, keep going. Yes. For example, when I talk about social, so why we have talked about climate a lot, social is more about if you, your business is having, what's the gender diversity in your business? What are the pay levels, compensation? There are a lot of more things that you could do as a business to improve the social aspect of it, trainings and of the employees, skill sets, et cetera, upskilling them for certain jobs. All of these comprise a social element of 
within an organization. Uh, the governance would be more around what are the processes they have and how they're ensuring that these processes are robust if tomorrow something happens to the business. What is the resilience? The business resilience is all determined by the governance part of it. And hence, the first step is to just be conscious of what's happening, what are the best practices around it. And mm -hmm. then the second step is measuring that whether we are benchmarking uh, the business against uh, what's there in the market. And each industry will have their own uh, benchmarks. For example, we cannot compare a transport industry to a, to a hotel industry because they're very different sets of um, requirements, both around environment, social and governance part of it. And hence, um, it's important to, to benchmark against your peers to see where we can improve uh, as a business. And then the third part is just try to see if you need to go a step ahead, just prepare a very small report at the, at the year end on what did we do well in environment, social and governance and what we, there are many standards out there, but you can choose which one you want to just go ahead. Just do a very simple report. There are a lot of templates available. This will help you to understand your impact and also so it would help them to understand the improvement that they need to do on the various aspects. So it's not just about reporting, it's more about how we can improve upon those metrics. I really like that you talked about the community development component because the climate, like I said, I think there's been, I think I've seen a few different reports on almost all climate predictions having not come true, so to speak. I think there was one that was like 36 out of 38. But like I said, we obviously do need to do something and, and developing the community is such an important one. The reason why I probably was saying I like that is as I told you, we, I spent $50,000 hiring 10 research assistants to help me go through all the academic literature on business success during COVID. Everyone was arguing about the science of this, the science of that which is part of why I read David Deutsch's book and all this sort of thing, because I was, the man that raised me worked in applied physics and geology. These are hard sciences, right? And so it made me wonder, what does the science have to say about business success? And so we went through all this literature from countries around the world, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Canada, US, trying to figure out what are these common factors? And we found eight critical success factors, self-efficacy, market intelligence, strategic planning, marketing strategy, sales strategy and skill, money management, business operations, and business intelligence. And in each of those, we've tried to figure out what are the subcomponents. And one of the things that makes up a successful marketing strategy is actually corporate social responsibility. We actually found a positive correlation to things like community development, ethical values, and of course, conforming to legal processes, those relating to profitability of a company's marketing strategy. People want to do good. And it reminded me, I read a book called Banker to the Core. Yunus Yusuf Muhammad, Yunus Muhammad, mm -hmm. uh, he won a Nobel Peace Prize. He did. He he started yeah. the microfinance revolution. Yeah, I guess maybe yeah. in India he might be a little famous. And he he discovered that by helping small like micro businesses, meaning someone needs to buy another goat so they can have more milk to spend, small loans that would be too small for a big bank, but actually have massive impacts on a neighborhood and a community. And another thing which I feel embarrassed about, but that you mentioned about diversity, that when women became economically successful, they actually lifted the community up around them. They bought clothing and paid for school fees and medicines, and they gave, they fixed houses for themselves and relatives. They paid for tools and training for the men. When men typically became successful economically, they typically spent it on travel, women, tools, and booze and drugs, regrettably. That was just typically the main source of investment. So the lesson there is male, female, invest in your communities. And I love that you talked about training the staff, upskilling, cross-training. Those are also all positive correlations. Having a more effective team, helping improve people's 
uh, self-awareness, their communication cooperation skills, their adaptability, their sense of discipline, both with mental health, physical health, and just in general, their discipline skills, huge impact. And cross-training, especially in this uncertain era of geopolitical issues, and that you, you never know when someone's going to have to jump into someone else's seat. And Absolutely. if there's a sacred knowledge problem where only one person knows how to handle this, only one person knows what's going on, if they disappear, they become ill or something, it can be catastrophic to some businesses. And so I think that's a really great emphasis on building up resilience and, and investing in communities. So, yeah. In fact, uh, I would say that we have this year or uh, last month itself, we have put one billion uh, Singapore dollars in the community for the coming 10, 10 wow. years. So that's a big commitment by a bank. Uh, Congratulations. Just, thank you. To enable the communities and enable the different segments of the communities to may empower them. Uh, so that's one of the big commitments we have. And this comes with a responsibility. So we are the bank with a 19% ROE, which is one of the highest amongst the banks in the wow. world. And hence, it's our responsibility to make sure that we enable the society where we are, which we are also part of. And hence, this commitment came on the back of that. So, so uh, it goes hand in hand. Yes. When you're investing in community development, what's getting that investment? So it's still very nascent. So we just announced this uh, a couple of weeks back. And hence, we are saying that what is the most meaningful way to engage the communities and make this investment, which can have higher impact? So whether which segment of the society needs more. So starting from the, the school, the kids who, who need to be educated about what various aspects, digital literacy, financial literacy, how do you do financial planning of their, you know, starting a very young age? Can we have some tools for them? Uh, can we have uh, various uh, campaigns for them as well? So that's one part. The second one is the senior citizens, the aging population. How do we ensure they are, they feel inclusive in the society? And hence, that's the second strata or segment of target audience as well. Women in general, diversity, because our operations are in, in India, Indonesia, China, Taiwan, Hong Kong. And hence, these are all, many of them are developing nations. And how do we ensure that we give mm -hmm. uh, appropriate support to them as well? Right. So we are still not yet uh, concrete yet, but this, these are some of the thoughts or areas that we are exploring. Yeah. Just as when you mentioned that, this actually came to mind. This was last weekend. Just a, a suggestion for you to consider. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to mention it, but there's a bank here in the Philippines that has a, a, a roaming event called Kidopreneur. And my daughter, who's four years old, we just participated in it. I got a rock tumbler weeks ago to teach my daughter. One, it's like a science thing. Her grandpa's into geology. So you throw a bunch of ugly big rocks in there. You turn on, it just rotates. And then over days they polish. I want to understand the process. Hey, there's a pro we, we get her into gardening too, to understand that you plant seeds and harvest. I want to show her the mm. idea of polishing an idea and something happens, but her and her mom loved them so much. That I was like, would you like to make jewelry out of them? And I bought some kits to make jewelry out of this. And her, my daughter's private school, they have a big fair every year. And I said, Hey, maybe we should get a table at the fair and sell some of the stuff. We'll call it made by Malaya. My daughter's name is Malaya, which means freedom mm -hmm. to and then we talked about maybe that'd be a good idea. And her mom and her were working on taking turn in these, making little jewelry and keychain and stuff. And then we heard about literally at the mall across the street from us, this kiddopreneur event, which is like a farmer's market for kids and their stalls and all that stuff. And they have a guest speaker come. And we did that last week. And my daughter sold selling, I'm going to convert it to USD right now, selling 25 cents to $2 items. She did $150 in sales both days. Wow. Um, like $300 sales Brilliant. selling little, and she's four turning five. 
And so just to teach a little girl the power of planning and making something and presenting it, handing out flyers. So I just, that's just a little suggestion that maybe I could have done that before or after perhaps the, I hadn't thought of that till just now. When you talk about that, that's, I, there's no benefit to me, but I just think that was such a phenomenal experience for her. She's already talking about what she's going to make for the next fair. And that's what we really need. You know, the, before we had uh, free markets, it was a world of Kings and peasants essentially. And then the markets were opened up. You look at the history of America, right? Free markets, uh, you try it's crony capitalism, but they were hoping for uninhibited capitalism. And that's what created the boom of the middle class. We are the middle class, the small and medium sized business owners. And that's part of why I'm doing this podcast, help get information and, and like knowledge like you have, like, where is the funding going? What should people be aware of? And maybe we should ask about that again, five, 10, 15 years from now, you mentioned community development, obviously more sustainable practices. I guess, is there also things like like different types of packaging in that, like non-plastics? Is that is that an area you see a lot of investment happening into? What else would you say 10 years from now? As I said, the entire, so as you said, you mentioned about the plastics. I think there was a recent ban on microplastics for certain consumer products. That means that the small microplastics uh, elements couldn't go in the cosmetics and so the all the product compositions are changing. The way we produce these products, the ingredients into these products, they are changing as well because it's a uh, few of the global regulations are coming. It's also not just EU side, but soon in Asia, these regulations right. might come in as well. And they might have an impact on our clients, uh, small medium enterprises who are exporting into Europe or US as well. Right, right. And hence, it's important for them to know that all these regulations, and for example, I just give you one example of a new regulation that has come up by EU and the other countries like UK and Australia are also thinking about is the carbon border adjustment mechanism. So basically, if your product has a high carbon emissions, you need to pay a tax and this tax would be 100, uh, it's, it's 90 U per ton. So it's 100 USD per, per ton. Around that is the carbon emissions tax that they need to pay. And hence, it's very important for businesses to make sure that whatever they're producing and the way they're producing, it's measured. And if, if in case they are planning to export to EU or yeah, to Australia, to UK, et cetera, in future. Right. And hence, all of these the entire supply chains are being impacted because of these new regulations that are coming up. And it's very important for small medium business owners to understand what does it mean for them, for their for their products, and then in the long run, how do they need to make the transition? And for this transition, they could come to a bank and discuss because we have partnerships with a lot of these a lot of these digital solution providers who can help them to make this transition, or at least estimate what would be the capex investment required if they need to make those transitions. Yeah. And hence, so it's important for them, first of all, to just understand what's happening in the world and how it may impact them in future. Yeah, I love that. And I, I can agree. That's a, it sounds like adaptability and R&D is going to be a big part for almost all businesses in a way to try to stay relevant and stay up to date. And we really are just borrowing this planet from our future generations. I'm hundred percent has someone that has kids and has a kid. And I want, I'm pro children. I want a bunch of kids. I think it's fine. But like I said, we need to just be smarter with how we live and more sustainable in our housing. One of the things that we learned when I looked at money management was that positive correlations was a lean company, like low capital investment, being debt-free, at least for the sake of not squishing their cash flow, cash is king. Yep but also heavy investment in R&D spending, as well as investing in having high quality products and services, investing in asset and sales growth. 
whether that's patents, whether that's buying machinery your competitors doesn't have, so you have a higher scalability or more, more consistent quality, whatever that might mean. And then capacity utilization, using the resources, managing your resources to a high degree, getting everything you can from what you've got. That's employee capacity training. That's the financial management. That's labor productivity, labor intensity, capital intensity, managing these things. These are all the subcomponents of successful money management and businesses. So Levy, this has been such a, I've, I've got a couple pages of notes. It's been a very good, we've laughed, we've almost cried. We've talked about a lot of different things together. I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything I haven't asked you yet that I should have asked you? The other thing, if the small yeah. business owners are the key audience, I would like to say there are a lot of government subsidies that's coming up. Mm. The use of those, mm. government is pushing a lot to help you transition and it's important that you know about it and you play an active role in this and get those subsidies to make make your businesses efficient in terms of energy, et cetera. Great tip. Great suggestion. If people have questions, if they want to reach out, learn more, what are the best ways for them to get in touch? I am available on LinkedIn. I would be happy to share. They can get get in touch with me. My I can also link them to my colleagues who are experts in these fields and uh, we can take it from there. Sounds like a plan. So if you want to find out more, you can go to LinkedIn and look up lovey-otter, L-O-V-E-Y-D-A-S-H-O-T-A-R. That is L-O-V-E-Y, lovey-otter, D-A-S-H-O-T-A-R. Lovey, thank you so much for joining us today. You are valued and appreciated. And I really appreciate you coming and shedding light on how your industry is looking at this, where trends are going, and how businesses can adapt and survive for years to come. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Daryl, for inviting me and share because it's important because for me, it's connecting to the larger purpose and the larger purpose is for, for the community overall and hence it. Thank you for giving the platform to sharing with the audience.